When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country is on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterms. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today is the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The president leaves the bubble for a little barbecue in Kansas City. Back on the road today to sell infrastructure and the rest of the economic agenda while Democratic leaders on Capitol Hill write their Christmas lists with very little time left to make the president's holiday wishes come true. We'll discuss what to expect coming up with Sheila Burke of the Harvard Kennedy School, former chief of staff the late Senator Bob Dole. Later, our conversation with Deputy White House Press Secretary Chris Marr and the panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis with us in studio for the hour. Yes, the signature panel intact. You would think Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell did something wrong by reading the headlines on the terminal. You know, we pull headlines from everywhere. The Atlantic, why Mitch caved again? Politico, Trump tees off on McConnell. Business Insider, Trump rips McConnell for not using debt ceiling to block Biden's agenda. I could go on. This, of course, after McConnell announced a deal late yesterday to fast-track legislation to lift the debt ceiling. We talked about this and paved the way for Democrats to do it with a simple majority. So he's being punished by members of his own party for, again, helping to avoid a default. All the while, as I mentioned, Democratic leaders are sticking with their plans here, or, or maybe hopes a better word, to pass the rest of the president's economic agenda before leaving for the holidays. Can it be done? Or will they leave for the holidays? Here's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We feel very confident about what is in Build Back Better. We know what some possibilities are, and uh, it would be my hope that we will have this bill done before the Christmas vacation. You heard it again. Echoing Chuck Schumer, majority leader next door in the Senate. And that is where we begin with Sheila Burke of the Harvard Kennedy School, former chief of staff for the late Senator Bob Dole. She now chairs the Government Relations and Public Safety Group at the firm Baker Donaldson. Sheila, I thank you for being here. I've been looking forward to it. You've walked up on many holiday breaks with a long to-do list. You know what it's like to be in the majority facing the Christmas break. Will Democrats pass the president's social spending plan in time? Gosh, thanks very much for having me on today. 
you know, you describe correctly the run-up to a holiday, which is not infrequent when there is pressure to complete action on particular legislation. Yeah. Uh, I think there is certainly the intention by uh, Mr. Schumer to get the Senate to complete its work. Uh, the question will be whether or not uh, that resolves the question or whether they have to conference with the House, uh, and that could certainly go into next year. But uh, certainly going on Senator Schumer's words, his intention is to complete work uh, and to get it done. So we can only go with that, certainly not with the support of the Republicans. Well, we could also go with what Joe Manchin's been saying and Kirsten Cinema that this timeline to, to get this done before Christmas is not realistic uh, and maybe not even possible, you know, you, you, he just doesn't have the votes to make that happen, does he? Well, it, it will take all of his votes, all 50. We've known that from the outset. Yeah. Uh, and certainly Senator Manchin has used the opportunity to uh, articulate his concerns, as has uh, Senator Sinema, uh, and taken the opportunity to negotiate against a deadline. Again, this is not an unusual set of circumstances, and I suspect it will go to the very end uh, in terms of negotiating. We're still waiting for the final birdbath process to complete. And Senator Manchin has said he will, in fact, await the results of that to see what the final package looks like. Doesn't that tell you something, though, if we don't even know if the parliamentarian is good with the language in this bill? Well, it's not unusual to ask the parliamentarian to do that kind of review. It's quite usual. Uh, It will, I suspect, go into next week before we see a completion of that work to determine what is and what is not. But they're supposed uh, to be done this week, right? We're going to have to keep lawmakers in town. I suspect it will be next week would be my best, perhaps uninformed guess. But that would be my guess. What's that like when you're in the majority leader's office and you have to start calling people to tell them they're not going home when they thought they were? Not pretty. Not pretty. It's something, and whether it was a Christmas break or the 4th of July or the August recess, uh, it is never easy to tell members that they have to delete, you know, really delay their plans. Not an easy thing for a leader to do. As someone who's deeply aware of the, the realities of this situation, you know, we've been talking about these massive, Sheila, massive, comprehensive bills. And one of my questions for a lot of people lately, and I've talked to our panel here about it, including your old friend Rick Davis, who is with us in studio. What about taking this piecemeal? What if you come into the new year? Okay, no one wants another trillion something dollars. What about a uh, paid leave bill? What about a standalone bill on on free uh, pre-K? Is that not in, in, in the works at this point? Or that just can't be done because the margins are too thin? You know, that's always an option. Uh, incremental is not necessarily a negative term, nor one that leads to uh, an, an inability to conclude. Uh, but often you need uh, one piece to balance another, uh, something that someone cares deeply about in order to get someone to vote in favor of something they feel less strongly about. Mm-hmm. So it's really a calculation by the leadership as to what the mix needs to look like. And this was something Dole managed, certainly Senator Daschle managed, Senator Mitchell managed, Senator Byrd managed. Uh, Senator Lott and others have managed, and that is the calculus by the leader as to what it needs in order to get it through the final push. Uh, And that's a call I suspect they are examining very closely today. What are the pieces that you need in order to get uh, uh, the right number of votes? Now, the other side of this whole story, uh, Sheila, is is the view of of your party, the Republican Party, uh, where inflation is the word where inflation is the concern and inflation seems to be driving the talking points and nobody's going to be going near this agenda here as we gear up for for a wild midterm election year 
what is the best posture for Republicans now to not look like obstructionists, but to stick with that storyline? Well, I think the, the best position for Republicans is to, in fact, hold their principles in terms of the things that are critical. They're obviously concerned about the economy, obviously concerned about inflation, uh, but equally as concerned about the concerns being raised by their constituents. And there are legitimate questions about the need for child care support, legitimate questions uh, for some of the elements of the legislation. Now, having passed the first bill with the infrastructure changes will provide tremendous opportunities, we believe, uh, and one that obviously came out originally with a bipartisan vote. Uh, and in this case, I think, again, there are legitimate questions about whether it is too much uh, and whether, in fact, it will lead to a greater concern in terms of inflation uh, and pressure on the economy. And that's, I think, consistently the position Republicans have taken and I suspect will continue to take. But again, they'll look at each element of this, I think, going forward. And it goes back to your question about are you better off breaking it up or keeping it together? Yeah. And that's a calculus that has to be made. Sheila, I didn't mean to be presumptuous in the framing of my question. Maybe I should no, have started by no, asking no. you if you feel like this is still your Republican Party. Well, you know, that's a that's a very difficult question to, to answer. I mean, there are certainly elements uh, of the points of view that are being held by Republicans today uh, with which I am quite comfortable. There are others that perhaps uh, I feel that we need to reach more to compromise. We need to look at some of the issues that are confronting the American public uh, and deal with them, whether it's nutrition issues, housing issues, uh, retirement security, uh, and certainly health care and health care costs. Obviously, the drug provisions are ones that a great many people care very deeply about. I certainly do. Uh, in terms of the cost of drugs and the pressure that puts on American families. So I think there are certainly issues about which I feel strongly and agree and others where I would disagree. You know Joe Biden. You knew him, I'm sure, for many years in the Senate and worked directly with him. Is he an honest broker in these negotiations? Oh, uh, my, I think I, I could describe fairly Senator Dole's view of Senator Biden then uh, as being a decent, honorable man with uh, strongly held views. Uh, I think there is no question that he feels strongly about these issues uh, and is also somebody who knows the Senate and is someone who seeks to reach compromise. That was his view when he was in the Senate as a member, and I think uh, that certainly what appears to be his position today. Well, there does seem to be a feel among Republicans that he's over his head, that he doesn't realize what's actually being discussed at, at kitchen tables, if I can use that that uh, tired cliche, he yeah. thinks that he's coming from the working man's perspective, Sheila. Well, I, you know, um, I, I think there's no question that he comes from a working man's perspective. I think that's his background. I think it's something he understands. I don't yeah. think he's forgotten his roots any more than Bob Dole did coming out of Russell, Kansas. I think they both felt strongly for families and the concerns of families. And I believe firmly that Senator Biden, now President Biden, uh, holds true to those views uh, of essentially worrying about the American family. I want to ask you about your old boss in our last couple of minutes here, Sheila, because I'm sure you've had a lot of thoughts and a lot of memories going through your head uh, this week. We've got a couple of very important days coming up in Washington, and it begins tomorrow. The formal tribute to Bob Dole will lie in state in the Capitol Rotunda. The president will take part in a private ceremony. The Washington National Cathedral will then host the funeral of Bob Dole on Friday. I can only assume that you'll be uh, part of uh, these commemorations. And I wonder what your thoughts were, Sheila, when you saw President Biden get up early in the morning with the First Lady. Yesterday, he went down to the World War II Memorial to lay that wreath. 
you know, I would I would add that the third element of the celebration will, in fact, be at the World War II Memorial. Uh, as President Biden recognized yesterday the importance of that to Senator Dole, uh, the last stop Senator Dole will make uh, on his way home to Kansas will be the World War II Memorial. Um, the next two days are going to be very difficult, uh, but I think celebratory. It was as he would wish it. Um, he loved the Senate, loved it as an institution, and I think the opportunity to lie in the rotunda uh, is remarkably um, important to him and to his family. Uh, I think it is a place of um, reverence uh, for Senator Dole for all those years. Uh, and I think, again, it will be a celebratory event and a recognition of how important it was to him. And again, his last stop will be at the World War II Memorial. Well, I want to express our condolences to you, Sheila Burke, and thank you for sharing your insights with us today. And good luck these next two days. We'll all be watching and listening and talking about it here on Bloomberg Radio. Certainly on this program, Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. We're in New York. I didn't mention that. At the Mothership. And guess what? Rick and Jeannie are up next. This is Bloomberg. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The president making his way back from Kansas City, as we discussed, and big thoughts are coming up on Capitol Hill. How do we get all of this stuff done? They still have to make good on the debt ceiling deal that we talked about. Still have to make sure that the defense spending package is done. And as we discussed yesterday, maybe they're done after that. We assemble the panel now to talk about some of the ideas we shared with Sheila Burke. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us in studio and it's great to see you guys. What are your thoughts here Jeannie? Should everybody just go home this weekend or do we actually you know by the way we are hearing that they're going to keep lawmakers in town through next week or into next week. Is this some sort of a show when Democrats don't actually have the votes to pass the next massive piece of legislation that that would be up for a vote? Well, you know, Chuck Schumer says he's going to push this through before Christmas. So, you know, it's their job to say that. I can't explain why he's saying it, because I don't think that Joe Manchin is on board. And without Manchin, it's not going to happen. But Chuck Schumer has said this repeatedly. I do think, you know, we have seen great progress on the debt ceiling. That looks like that gets wrapped up maybe early next week. And then it's all about Build Back Better and the NDAA. And, you know, they are saying, Democrats are saying that they still have an intent to get this through. Mm -hmm. And I don't see it happening myself, but Chuck Schumer says he wants to do that. And maybe the fact that people want to go home for the holidays is going to push them to take action. Yeah, well, I doubt talked it, about but... <laughs> the pain that's involved in making those calls, Rick. You know what? You're going to have to stay. We're extending uh, the session here. If you're a Democrat and you know the votes aren't there, you don't want to take that call, do you? You don't want to take the call anytime, but it is what leadership uses as a device to force people to do things they otherwise wouldn't do, right? And that's what this is all about, is getting people to change their minds. Can he keep people in long enough with the threat that they're going to have to miss things at home? 
uh, and and they have the pressure build right in the public mind. People like us talking about this right, all the time yeah. to like get you to cave. And and to be honest, I mean the two people that need to get caved are Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're caveable. They don't I care. mean like they don't care. And by the way, I I, I I'm relatively confident that when they walk through the halls, they're getting thumbs up by a lot of their colleagues in the Democratic caucus. In the it Democratic is not caucus. 48 to 2. Okay. Tell um, me more about that. Well, I mean, why? just think about it. I mean, because we've what, isolated this to two obstructionists. You're saying it's just a lot two, more than two that. Two obstructionists who are only under pressure right now from one individual, Chuck Schumer, right? How many other Democrats you see out there being quoted in the press saying, right. this is outrageous. We've no. got to stop this. Joe Manchin's being a bad Democrat. None. But it the conventional is, uh, wisdom it is, is that their echo colleagues, chamber of one. The conventional wisdom is their colleagues are annoyed with them for for holding this whole thing up. Well, is that's it? even better for them, right? <laughs> I mean, like, so so you know, if you tell someone no enough, yeah. sooner or later they start to believe you. Well, I don't. Right? I'm not it's sure. not just like, oh, well, if we just keep you here long enough, you're going to cave. Right? Yeah. I, I don't think they're capable. I think this is just optics. I, I think that Schumer has to convince Democrats, both in the Senate and in the House, because mm-hmm. he's in charge now, that um, he's doing everything he can to turn the screws on these two individuals to get them to vote right on the bill back better. Yeah. And I just think he's, it's all optics at this stage. I think they've done the hard work. They got a compromise on the debt ceiling. They were able to avoid a sequestration of Medicare, which was the number one priority to Republicans. And they ought to declare victory and get the heck out of there, but they're mm-hmm. gonna just drag it on if they, uh, if they can. It was the optics I was, I was kind of thinking uh, as we were talking about this, Jeannie. What, what's the purpose of putting on that show? Is it to say, you know, we stayed till the last, we used every last minute to do this for the American people. These guys held us up. Is it to have the opportunity to say that, that we did everything we could, we exhausted every opportunity? I think that's what Chuck Schumer thinks. As opposed I to really thinking you're changing minds. As a, it, there, he's not going to change minds. As Rick said, Joe Manchin has been clear right up to this week. There is no need to do this right now. There is no deadline by Christmas except an artificial one set by Chuck Schumer. And yes, we're going into an election year. Yes, to Chuck Schumer's point, it does get harder to do the longer this drags on. So there is, you know, some pressure there. But the reality is, and I think this is where I agree with Rick on this, is members are concerned. This first time I'll agree. No. Um, Members are concerned on the Democratic side about this issue of inflation constantly being brought up to them as many of them run in really difficult re-elections. And that is a number one issue or a top issue on many voters' minds, particularly in these swing districts. And so they've got to be very, very cautious. And I think they like to have the cover of a Joe Manchin and a Kristen Cinema to say, yeah, we wanted the bill back that? better, but unfortunately, yeah. you Just know, gosh, guys, get couldn't get there. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it in the new year. And it gives them an out. They go home and hope their constituents get Christmas presents in a timely manner. <laughs> That's right. Okay. The, the comments from Joe Manchin uh, that, that we heard yesterday, we keep hearing from the administration, 17 Nobel Prize winning economists. And he said, well, 17 Nobel Prize winning economists were wrong. At some point, Rick, you talk about inflation just about every day in this conversation. At some point, the White House narrative will have to change on that. Well, we've seen the Fed narrative change on that's that, true. right? I mean, well, that's you know, the, the chairman of the Fed was wrong. Yeah. It wasn't transient. And what is transient? Is it two years? Is it 40 <laughs> years? I mean, like, you know, some of these guys have been around a long time. Transient right. to them could be 25 <laughs> generation. Years. Right. I mean, so so look, I mean, everybody's starting to get with it. And this administration has not been nimble on this issue. 
right? They were telling everybody, don't worry about this while people were getting negatively affected by this. And so you're not only just wrong on the, met, on the facts that, that inflation isn't going away right away, but you're, you're wrong to tell people to ignore something that's hurting them, right? I mean, and so, so the administration has been incredibly good in the past at being empathetic, right? Certainly much more than Donald Trump's administration was, which was grin and bear it, babe. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and so I think this is the thing that I don't quite understand is that the number one issue in America is relatively ignored by the White House. Just a day after meeting with Vladimir Putin, President Biden gets back to domestic politics, leaves the bubble for Kansas City. And we've heard speeches like these before, promoting the, the now infrastructure law, but also making the case for Build Back Better, and we want to talk about it. With Deputy White House Press Secretary Chris Marr joining us for the first time. Welcome, Chris, to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I know that you don't plan these presidential trips by accident. A lot of thought goes into them. You could be anywhere in the country today. So why Kansas City for President Biden? Are you, are you appealing to people who voted for Donald Trump in the last election to get the word out on what you're up to? Well, you know, we think it's important to go everywhere and talk to everybody, whether they voted for the president or not. Um, and the fact is that uh, the people in Kansas and Missouri are going to be uh, feeling the impact of the uh, bipartisan infrastructure law that was signed uh, by the president last month. Uh, you know, last week, um, Vice President Harris and Pete Buttigieg were in North Carolina. The yeah. week before that, the president was in Michigan. So we're we're going everywhere and we're talking to everybody because we think we have a really good infrastructure uh, plan to, to talk to people about. It has been quite a road trip for, I know, for a lot of you, realizing it'll take time for some of the items that you mentioned uh, to get off the ground to get things running from the infrastructure law. Are you concerned the plan will, will take too long to touch Americans to make a difference in the midterm elections, or do you see some of these actually getting shovels in the ground by the end of next year? Well, what we're focused on uh, are, are shovel-worthy projects, uh, not so much shovel-ready projects. I would say, you know, the midterms are the farthest uh, uh, from our minds. What we're focused on is what can help uh, middle-class families around the country. Yeah. Um, what you're talking about with the infrastructure law is good-paying union jobs um, and you know infrastructure improvements to our roads and our bridges. Uh, these are broadly popular uh, components that you know Republicans support, Democrats mm -hmm. support, independents support. Everybody drives over the, those potholes, you know. Uh, so we're uh, we worked in a bipartisan manner to uh, pass the infrastructure law, and now we're going to get to work implementing. So we're going with shovel worthy, Chris, instead of shovel ready. This is big stuff for me, you know, for a guy who covered uh, the 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 2008 election and remembering some of this stuff, the stimulus law. This is this is big semantics for those of us who are wonky in Washington. Well, certainly, you know, we're getting right to work in implementing uh, the infrastructure plan. And, uh, you know, wh where there are projects perhaps already in the works or are being planned yeah. uh, to identifying, you know, roads and bridges and airports that, uh, you know, uh, are in need of improvement. Uh, we look at this as a, a generational transformational moment uh, to take us from 12th uh, in the world in infrastructure uh, to compete more globally sure. uh, with with other countries. So it's a it's a long term investment in our economy, but uh, it is going to add 
uh, and grow our economy in the short term as well. As the president tries to spread the word on infrastructure, he's also making the case for his Build Back Better plan kind of in the same breath uh, with Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, others saying that they're concerned about the timeline to have this passed by Christmas. I wonder, does the White House care if this carries into the new year, if this is done in January, for instance? Well, look, we're we're hoping to get this passed uh, as early as we can get it. Um, the president's in touch with uh, members and leadership on the Hill. Uh, our team is in touch with members and leadership on the Hill. We're engaging in good faith. Uh, as we always do. And I think what you're seeing uh, with the the discussions around Build Back Better is there's a sense of urgency to build on our historic jobs growth, uh, to fight the uh, inflationary pressures that we're feeling and cut the biggest costs facing families, uh, child care, prescription drugs, um, elder care. And so, you know, we're, we're confident at the end of the day that uh, the Senate is going to put American families first and move quickly to get this done. We'll leave it to them on the timetable, but we feel confident that we're going to get this across the finish line. I ask you because I you know I know that, that uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki has been asked this about 100 times in, in the White House briefings. Yeah. And I, I, from what I understand or, or infer from the White House's position on this is we'll take the amount of time it takes to get it done, that, that too much is being made of deadlines. At the end of the day, uh, you know, if we get the Build Back Better Act passed, um, that's going to lead to lower costs for the American people. That's going to lead to more money in pockets for the American people, Mm -hmm. uh, extending tax cuts for working families uh, and easing this inflationary pressure that uh, we're feeling on the economy. And so that's what our focus is. We want uh, it to pass as early as we can get it, sure. but uh, we're confident in, in the discussions and the negotiations that are taking place on the Hill. Secretary, I want to ask you lastly about messaging from the White House. A lot has been made about the president's approval ratings. You don't need me to tell you, but you're a former journalist. You spent years in TV and newspapers. And I wonder what you think when you read stories about the president's approval ratings right now. Does, does the White House have a messaging problem? You know, uh, the president signed the infrastructure bill into law last month. And and like we mentioned at the top, our administration is hitting the road to talk to the American people directly about the benefits of that infrastructure plan. Um, We know that these components are broadly popular with people, and we just need to continue to have that discussion with people. On one hand, in the Build Back Better Act, you have Democrats you know, fighting for lower prices and costs for the American people, yeah. uh, extending tax cuts, easing inflationary pressures. On the other side, you have Republicans who voted against lowering core costs for Americans in prescription drugs and child care. They're fighting against common sense measures to put the pandemic in retreat, and they're voting against easing inflationary pressures. You know, they, they don't have a plan, and they refuse uh, to get on board with the Build Back Better And they say Act. that so, this would make inflation worse in, in the new year. So, you know, you've got people on well, such stark sides of this argument. 17 Nobel Prize winners in economics would disagree with them on that one. So I, I do know that line. Senator Manchin seemed to have his own here, but it's a fascinating uh, conversation that we're having here. And and I thought I would ask from, from one journalist to another. Secretary, I know that your time is tight. want to thank you for being with us today on Bloomberg Radio. Come back and see us. All right. Thanks, Joe, for having me. We're updating our wonk vocab list now officially to include shovel-worthy. Sort of made my day. It's a sub-note, different version, shovel-ready, a few pages down. All right, thanks for being with us.
here on Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. Rick and Jeannie will come back. We'll talk more about this and a vote teed up on Capitol Hill in the Senate, one we've been waiting for to potentially overturn the Biden administration's mandates on vaccines and testing. It's all ahead here as we'll check traffic and the markets for you, too, to try to help you get home. I'm Joe Matthews. Stay with us. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So here's a question. Rick Davis asked it, as a matter of fact. Why is President Biden in Kansas City trying to sell what's already been done with infrastructure instead of staying in Washington, D.C. to try to get the reconciliation bill passed? Do you have an answer to your own question? You know, build back better Biden. You know, yeah. I mean, where is he? They're, t- they're counting down to But that's kind of recess. a Republican. That's an attack line, isn't it? Because can't he do his job anywhere? You he, know, he's he, got Air Force sure, One. He, he's got the traveling White House. He can he can call and talk to, you know, the, the majority leader yeah. and, 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 and the rest of the caucus from Air Force One. What he might probably want to do is put Joe Manchin on Air Force One <laughs> when he flies out of town. And like, you know, threaten to put him in a jumpsuit and send him out the door if he doesn't vote right. I mean, like, look, I mean, there's something to be said for being in Washington and being the president. This is how he negotiated the deal to begin with. He Mm -hmm. brought him all over the White House. So what are we going to do? Have a Christmas party and, you know, have Joe Manchin do a sidebar and under the mistletoe? I mean, like, I'm ready. Let's see the kiss. Does that bother you, Jeannie? Or or do you think he's actually doing what what Rick is saying? And he's he's working phones. He's talking to people, whether he's in D.C. or across the country. I am going to defend President Biden on this. I think he's doing exactly what he should be. This is a huge accomplishment to pass the hard infrastructure bill, bipartisan as it was. He should be out there talking about it, celebrating it. We've talked about the fact that this is exactly what Democrats should be doing. And I think the last thing he should be doing is sitting in Washington, D.C., trying to knock his head against the mansion cinema wall that's not going to crack until at least after New Year's. So if I was on his team, I would say, go out, Joe, sell that bill, talk about what you've done, major accomplishment and much needed at everything from the environment to bridges, roads, tunnels, broadbands, everything else. He's doing what he should be doing. Is it an optical problem, though? Not everybody knows what you know about the way these things work. And if he's out there in Kansas City, by the way, I can only imagine what the local, you know, conservative talk uh, stations are saying in, in that area in a state that he lost. Well, I talked to somebody from Missouri today. I'm going to tell yeah. you this, Joe. Okay, and, did um, you go Missouri or Missouri? I'm I, always curious as a New I, England boy. She probably said Missouri. Okay, I but. did say Missouri, and I am from New England, Thank so you. there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I did talk to somebody, and, you know, this is important for presidents, particularly in these days, is to get out and talk to local media. They want to break through this national media focus on everything going on in Washington, D.C., and talk to people on the ground. So I do think that it is productive for him. Mm -hmm. Sure, he's going to get pushback from conservative media in the state, but that's okay. 
And to your earlier guest comment, you know, they've got to go places. You can't only go where you win. Mm. you got to go mm. everywhere. So, yeah. you know, I'm here to defend Joe well, Biden. Gotcha. Say not that he needs it. I read you. <laughs> I mean, there are two sides to this. That was the when Barack Obama finished the whole Obamacare situation. Rick, I'm sure you remember it. He said, God, if I had to do anything over again, I would have taken a lot more care to explain things to people and actually try to promote what we did because people still didn't exactly know what was in there. You know, the difference, though, is he didn't have a $2 trillion transformational social programming that is only for Democrats in Congress to pass. And he didn't he didn't have that to keep him at home. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, you're right. He probably should have gone out and actually explained Obamacare. But the reality is that this is the shining star of his legislative achievement. It's only going to have votes from the Democratic caucus. And if it goes down, it's only going to be on the backs of the Democratic Party. Hmm. And so he had better ensure that it gets done. I mean, someone ought to ask Joe Manchin, when was the last time you got a phone call from Joe Biden? Mm -hmm. Because if it wasn't today from that airplane, then it was probably not a good use of his time. Your because point is right now, Joe Manchin is standing between him and his legacy. Yeah. Is Joe Manchin taking his calls right now, Jeannie? I mean, of course, you take the call from the president, but some of the comments he's had about, you know, potentially leaving the party, it just seems very casual about all of this. You know, well, look, they haven't invited me, but I'm kind of stuck somewhere in the middle, he said. I think he's taking their, his calls. And they, they have a good relationship. It's a solid relationship. And let me just say, I wouldn't tell the president to be in Washington, D.C., pushing for something that we've all agreed is probably not going to happen before Christmas. Hmm. I don't think it's a good way to spend his time. And I also think with this economic environment and inflation as it is, it's not something that he needs to be talking about. Let the Democrats in the Senate try to work this out. He can come in when he can push it over the line. You're not going to push it over the line right now, and I think he knows that intuitively. Of course, these aren't the only votes that are happening in Washington. We've talked about the the debt limit, the the, the wild procedure that that's going to go through the NDAA and there's some voting going on about vaccine mandates. We got a whiff of this and we talked about it with uh, with both of you in the continuing resolution to fund the government. Right. There was a thought that uh, this would be held up and it was kind of for a minute, but they worked things out by the deadline by a couple of Republican senators who wanted to block the Biden administration's vaccine and testing mandates. There's a new wrinkle on this. As I read on the terminal, Republicans put vaccine mandates on agenda for midterm elections. It's also a standalone vote here. Republicans say requirements that some people get vaccinated or risk losing their jobs are deeply unpopular and worsen employment and inflation. We heard today from Senator Mike Braun, Republican from Indiana, said while he favors people getting vaccinated, he's not an anti-vaxxer. He says individuals and businesses must be able to make their own decisions. Here he is. This is different because it's coming from the highest level of authority. It's a federal mandate. Most other vaccine mandates, and I think they've all originated at the state level. And uh, this is done also in the context of uh, probably um, a hotter political you know, environment, too, to where 92 percent have either been vaccinated or gotten immunity through natural infection. Alex Ruoff writes, this could be a risky move. Voters seem to support at least some vaccine mandates, according to recent polls. Is it good politics, Rick? Yeah, I think this falls into like where the puck's going to go, not where it is, right? Where it is today is everybody's kind of trying to get over this thing and and, and you're, you're trying to figure out like how do we get everybody a jab in the arm and you've still got the threat of Omicron and, and other uh, you know uh, viruses that, uh, that are the threat to our jobs and our, and our economy. 
But like a year from now, where do you think we're going to be? If, if we've got that many people already vaccinated, it's, it's going to be yesterday's news. And so the question is, how many of these people lost their jobs because they didn't get vaccinated? Now yeah. we're right out of the, the threshold of pain. We're out of the exposure for public health emergency. Do they get rehired? Uh, to the police, to the nurses who uh, chose not to get a vaccine. So I think that's where they're going. They're looking downstream and saying, you know what? It's not going to affect anybody today. No one's voting, and there's all kinds of disagreement on this. But, like, we want to be in a place where we thought it was unfair for people to lose their jobs just because they didn't get a vaccination. This would be a Congressional Review Act vote, right? Uh, I mentioned uh, that Republicans are, are pushing this, but, you know, Joe Manchin and John Tester, a Democrat from Montana say they will join Republicans in supporting a genie. Yeah, that's right. And I'm still trying to make sense of Rick's puck comment because I'm not an ice hockey person. So that analogy was lost on me, Rick Davis. Gretzky, um, baby. Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think it, it's not a surprise that Tester and Manchin are on board with this. Um, you know, this is in the United States, it is a very, um, it's an issue that quite frankly goes back to the founding, not to put my academic hat on it, but we are in a country that values liberty, you know, above all else. And while mandates are very, very helpful in getting people vaccinated, people, I think, are rightly concerned about the federal government stepping in and trying to tell you what to do with your own body. So I am not surprised this is such a divisive issue. You know, we're talking about in the context of abortion to a certain extent. Now you're talking about in the context of, of vaccines and a pandemic. On the flip side, we, you know, those of us who have gone to school and been educated in the United States, we've gotten vaccinated without much you know, thought about it until the pandemic. So I do think it's going to, something we're going to continue to grapple with yeah. for many, many years to come. And I think it's one of the big questions we have to think about in terms of public health in this country. You were with us on Balance of Power this week when uh, Governor Chris Sununu joined us, and he's arguing with fellow Republicans to say no mandates, but also no blocking of mandates. In other words, the government shouldn't have anything to do with it. Rick Davis, it should come down to private businesses one way or the other. Do it the way you want it, but don't have it come from Washington. Yeah, I mean, that abdicates Washington's leadership, right? I mean, we've talked quite a bit on this show about, you know, the proper role of the president using his bully pulpit to steer the country in a certain direction. And, And that the reality is the industry and the private sector tends to follow the government lead. It's not the trailblazer that you would think it would be. Uh, sure, you want industry to make those rules for themselves. You want them deciding what's in their self-interest. But if they get direction from the government without a requirement, right? This is the, the word mandate is what you get into. Um, uh, and remember, for almost a year, the, this president, Joe Biden, did not want to put a mandate on, right? Absolutely. It wasn't until people didn't follow the lead of the government and get a jab that he then went to a mandate. So it wasn't like they instituted this on the first day of his presidency. So is the answer then writing genie language to the extent that Rick suggested here that at the end of the public health crisis, people get their jobs back, that this actually has a timeline? I do think that is important to consider. And, you know, as you are talking about this, I think it's also important to note that Joe Biden promised on the campaign and is delivering this week this democracy summit. And at the heart of it are the very questions that we're talking about in terms of 
things like vaccine mandates. You know, Freedom House tells us democracy is floundering across the world, part of what this summit is all about. And that has been exacerbated and underscored by the pandemic. And totalitarian states, quite frankly, can force vaccinations in a way we don't in a democracy. So it's right at the heart of what we're talking about. Did you guys get invited to the summit? It's a democracy. The We're all invited. For democracy, <laughs> we'll talk more about it tomorrow on this broadcast, The Fastest Hour in Politics. Great to see you guys in person. Rick and Jeannie with us on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.